You're listening to Wake Up Tucson. This podcast is a Bustos Media production on The Voice. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Dr. D. Filippo here. Uh, of course, friend of the show, Pima County uh, watchdog, as we like to say. Now, I, I'm going to call it the accountability and transparency compliance. Wow. That okay. almost sounds as uh, fancy as... Uh, I always love the grants and innovation oh, department yeah. at the... the grants at and management. What's, I, yeah. the, I haven't seen innovation out of the county like ever. <laughs> I do want to bring this up because I, I do want the listeners to realize what's going on in the national scene like this morning, headline says, New York City forces all city employees to undergo radical critical, radical critical race theory training. Quote, unquote, really unfair. Do, do you listeners have any idea what's going on in Arizona? Do you know that our universities require this? I had to do a training that in one of the modules talked about white privilege. I, I am absolutely appalled. And if there are any Arizona border regions listening to this or somebody has a connection to the Arizona border regions, I would like the Arizona border regions to explain why and how they allow a module that is focusing on white privilege to be disseminated, mandated of not just students, but employees, faculty, etc. Remember that um, NAU, my alma mater, is now four classes 12 yes. credits have to go to crt before they give you a degree mandatory yeah and and you know the the thing pima county that costs money also yeah you have to pay for it you have to pay for them to try to indoctrinate you okay pima county is the same you know a lot of times what they'll do they'll coach it under some other title but it's basically the crt operative framework from which they're, you know, wh white is bad, white is racist, white is privilege, you know, and it, it is this very destructive language. Yeah, I, I thought about it recently, especially with Martin Luther King Day. I truly believe that Martin Luther King would just be absolutely appalled if he saw what was going on, because it's not what he was advocating for, and it's not what he was the message he was trying to send out. So he believed, my take is that Martin Luther King, especially as a Christian minister, believed that all souls are equal, right? We, we're supposed to be judged by our content of our character and not the color of our skin. And asking us to recognize the content of the color uh, of the character instead of saying that some are, you know, better than others. What, what he was really trying to say is when you put that lens on, Look at it through the lens of a level playing field. Don't look at it through a, like a caste system or a hierarchy. But, you know, we there's a great article by Neil Gotunda called Is Our Constitution Colorblind? Great article if anybody wants to read it. Actually, I'll bring it in and you can link it in. Okay. okay. And um, it's looking at it because people are saying that when we look at the Constitution, okay, there are those that look at it from a color lens perspective, and there are others that say, no, all men are created equal, etc. Well, you know, it's how we interpret it. That's where critical thinking skills come in. And when they apply critical race theory onto critical thinking skills, that's how you end up with what you've got today in university systems, indoctrination. If you're walking around the world thinking, not thinking that all souls matter equally, you're in a bad, you're in a bad spot in your, in your life. Yes. You know. I mean, all we've done with critical race theory is, is flip the colonizer, colonized, the oppressor, the oppressed model. That's what we've done.
And, and literally what it does is it's just another form of perpetrating a system of abuse. Did you see the Don Lemon interview with the English historian after the Queen died? Yes. Yes. Right? And he's like, isn't it time for England to pay reparations? Yes. For slavery? Right? And this this, this history story, I tell you, she was so good. Oh, she, it was beautiful. She, goes, no, she goes, Don, you're absolutely correct. We, we do. Let's, let's go back to the real roots of slavery, which are tribes in Africa that sold people that they defeated in battle. They enslaved them, and then they sold them on the shores of shores of Africa to Europeans, who then shipped them across the Atlantic. So let's go right to the source. Let's ask for reparations from the descendants of the tribes who first started the slave trade. <laughs> like, yes, uh, he, he was. He was. He didn't speechless. know what to do with He just it. did not know how to answer that. Yeah. So you know, my thing on it is, before you open your mouth, and I, I say this to anybody about anything, make sure you've done your homework. Make sure you know what you're talking about. Otherwise, keep silent. Because, mis- as we well know, misinformation is equally destructive. So you're saying they're not going to knock over the pyramids or the aqueduct or any any of the stuff that was probably all built by slave labor? That's true, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> While we're toppling statues and... Take some hammers to a sphinx, is what you're telling me? I'm with you. I'm with you. All right. All right. So so we're going to put that one on the side there. So just, you know, if you've got students, if uh, if you're paying your kids tuition to go to the university here in Arizona, ask them to give you a list of the of the uh, trainings that are required. Thanks, okay. Aunt Joanne. Right. <laughs> oh, that's even worse. Okay. Doctor. Doctor Aunt Doctor Joanne. Doctor Aunt Joanne. <laughs> you know, we've, we've had some low marks in Tucson history. Especially, and it really hit me when uh, when the Tucson Crime Free Coalition had their explain the pain at um, at the Board of Soups. They did one. They did one on the air with us, but they did one on in December at the Board of Soups. And the lady who was one of the managers at Holy Hope Cemetery or Evergreen, one of those, came up and talked about how the 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 the, the cemetery has turned into an absolute drug crime written crap hole where if there was something like i guess you can buy a headstone that has like a little glass in it or plastic clear and there's something that's important to the person in the Some sort of a memento or remembrance right it could be a little crucifix or whatever that the the the, the fentanyl criminals were breaking those to steal that literally as i said last week last month it's still January. Last month, we were down to grave, grave robbing. I mean, it's grave robbing, okay? So then I see this story. I, it came up on What's Up Tucson, but then uh, Kagon 9, uh, Ryan, Ryan Fish. Yes, the Ryan Fish. Um, we literally had a drive-by, it sounds like, at Holy Hope Cemetery during a funeral procession. It's just getting to be Thunderdome. So a friend of mine said, well, that sounds like something out of a, like a mob movie. Even the mobsters respect the cemetery. They have like <laughs> some limits. Yeah. I mean, even, I don't think this, I don't think the, the mob, the Italian mob, let's, uh, let's get to the more classier of murderous criminals. Okay. The Italian mob does not, I don't think they're, they're shooting up cemeteries anytime soon. This is pure gang thuggery. So right now in Rahina and Steve Kozachik and Paul Cunningham and Nikki Lee's Tucson with Slain Santa Cruz, uh, a man falling asleep uh, is Richard Fembris uh, also, um, and Paul Dahl, Jerry Dahl, whatever, Rahina's pool guy, okay? Um, we're now having drive-bys at cemeteries. So 
Uh, a little challenge out to the guy who says he's the Catholic bishop around here, Weaselberger. Can you, actually, Weisenberger, whatever your name is, can you, this is where you do a statement. Remember you had all those statements in support of Rahina locking down and ruining people's lives? I noticed that Bishop Weisenberger hasn't come out with a retraction statement yet about how horrible it was for suicide, health, education, all those things. Oh, and people getting their life savings depleted and obliterated at their small business. I noticed the bishop didn't say anything about that either. You know, I was never impressed with him, and then I really got unimpressed with him at Deb uh, Garibay's funeral, where he was he was the doing the uh, homily, and he literally said, "I know this is Deb's funeral, but I'm not going to make. I don't want to make this about myself." And then he actually talked about himself for ten minutes, and we're all looking at each other like, "What just happened?" He stinks. He stinks. Uh, so anyway, I'd like to see Bishop Weisenberger come out and say, "Dear Tucson, I'm really we're as a Catholic Church. Can you please stop shooting up our funeral processions during a a burial of a Catholic body? Can, can we or anyone's body? Can we do that? Can we, as a, can, Bishop Weisenberger? Can you actually find some integrity and call for human decency? Can you do that for me? I don't know if you can, but we're asking for it. We have a shooting behind the Walmart on Wetmore." life-threatening injuries. TPD has not identified or arrested a shooter. I didn't realize the street back there was called Diamond Street Loop. No idea, right? When I saw a diamond, I'm like, where is that? You know, and then all of a sudden, like, the alley behind a Walmart. Fancy. Fancy. Um, We keep hearing these stories of through social media, the drug cartels are attracting uh, teenagers with money to drive illegal immigrants uh, through Arizona. So on Saturday, U.S. Border Patrol arrested a 15-15-year-old U.S. citizen in Benson, Arizona. They observed suspected migrants inside an SUV at a gas station. This is what happens when you get the 15-year-old a real mule knows to, to fuel up before you pick up your people, right? You, you don't need the gasoline to make the cargo. Correct. Yeah. You did it beforehand, and, you know, not everyone getting Funyuns. Right, right. Got to keep the driver fueled up, too. Sure. Correct. So this is what happens when you use. But there's plenty of other 15-year-olds they'll trick and entice with money. And, of course, if he's 15, it probably won't heal. He'll be a slap on the wrist, I bet. Because he's 15. I bet if you're the cartel, you're better off getting a 15-year-old than you are an 18-year-old. Why not? Right. 27-year-old woman dead after crashing in the concrete barrier. So 1.15 in the morning, a 27-year-old Anahi Soto has died after losing control of her car. She was driving northbound on Stone well over the posted speed limit. She failed to negotiate the curve. and the. I assume this is the one, the curve just north of Limberlost over there. That, that curve. That's the only curve I can think of on Stone. Yeah, I'm right not as you're sure. north. Um, Lost control of her vehicle near East Calle, Arizona, caused her to crash into a concrete barrier. She was driving a 2011 uh, Chevy Camaro, not wearing her seatbelt, container of alcohol. Ugh, so sad. So sad. Um, all right, so this is another one. So Andrew Christensen, a reporter at K-Gun 9. Yeah, I'm about right. I see Limber Lost on your screen. So right by Marv's place there is that curve. Yep. There you go. Yeah, that I mean that curve's dangerous. Lucky it didn't end up in the house. Yeah, I mean right. right. I mean that 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 curve for me is dangerous when I'm going forty, let alone this poor drunk woman going ninety. So uh bill number two, before I get to the story about uh Andrew Christensen, wonderful eleven year old reporter at K got nine. Um so he sends me little Timmy's column about deaths in Tucson. And he finally admits there's a 
Tucson has a drug problem. But he talks about he's he's giving himself a spit medal that he's been banging this drum for 10 years. Okay. So what he's down to is Tucson can't give away, can't abandon its car culture is the big problem. Yep. Who for decades has been building streets without sidewalks, streetlights? Tucson. Who, who for decades? Tucson. Has City, been of Tucson. City of Tucson. City of Tucson. City of Tucson. City of Tucson. Car culture. Car culture. You want rickshaws? You want <laughs> buses? The buses are already free. Nobody's riding them. Right, because they're basically They've been free for two years. I mean, the idea that someone can't tell Rahina and the city council that free buses means that you're literally the drug criminals' free ride across the city. I mean, that's what you're doing. I mean, right? The the, the region has rejected freeways after opportunity after opportunity for decades, multiple decades. And, uh, you know, I'm sorry, but it is a long way from Houghton to downtown. If you've got some business to do downtown, it's a long way. You, I mean, unless you're going to saddle up and take a horse and, and a lunch, then good luck. The other, of course, thing that little Timmy, and we call him little Timmy, he's stuck in the well. And Lassie hasn't helped him find anyone to get him out of the well. Okay. But little Timmy... Here's a, here's I'm going to give you a number that counts. 5, okay? That is according to Chief Kazmar in his Wake Up Tucson interview was the amount of traffic patrol officers roaming around Tucson under Chris Magnus. 5. Now, Chad has got it up to 15. When I asked him how many do you really need at minimum for a city like Tucson of its sprawling size, I believe he said 45 to 50. So when Rahina, Steve Kozacic, and Chris Magnus gets traffic patrol officers down to five, then everyone gets to drive like a jerk with no There's repercussions. no consequences. Right? I mean, we've seen this, right? And so the number's five. Now it's 15. But when Tim Steller says, well, Tucson just hasn't abandoned its car culture. Of course, the other question is, how many other communities have abandoned car culture? I can't, I can't name any that have abandoned their car culture in America. We need them to get places. <laughs> I, I mean, I just, I, yeah, I see stuff like that, and I don't even know what to say. But back to your free bus thing, right? You're right. So if you say, look, we'd like you to take the bus more, right? You've just made the buses unrideable, right? So you say, look, we, we'd love to get one out of every 10 Tucsonans on a bus this year instead of driving their car to work. Okay, let's say that that's what something they say. Well, you've made the buses unrideable because they're basically drug fentanyl gang public rolling toilets. All documented in articles, not making it up. Not at all. Friend of the show, Grover Norquist. Grover, welcome back, sir. Hey, Chris. Doing well. Good to be with you. So we've talked to a variety of our Congress people, including our newest Juan Siscomani. We talked to Andy Biggs. We've talked to the ultimate numbers wonk, David Schweikert. Where does uh, uh, yes. where does uh, where does Mister Norquist? Uh, which what would you what strategy as GW would say would you suggest to the House Republicans and Senate people when it comes to debt limits and what's going on with this whole latest budget sure. kerfuffle? Yeah, here's the good news. Ten years ago, 2011 and twenty thirteen, we did exactly this. Exactly this. We had a Democrat president, a Republican House, narrowly, and a Democrat Senate. That, the, the chessboard was laid out just the way it is now. And the other team said, oh, you can't negotiate that. The Democrats and the press, the other team, uh, you, you can't attach anything to that ceiling. It's never done. Actually, half the time it's done. Uh, you can't wait till the last minute because everyone will die and we'll lose our credit rating and everyone will want to buy Chinese bonds. Well, we've gone to the last minute. Matter of fact, the Democrats have gone to the last minute. 
when the House and the Democrats, both Democrats, were fighting over what to steal and who to give it to until the last minute. You know, so they, they weren't doing, dealing with saving the nation. They, they were into pork. And so, yeah, they've done this before. You know, we've done six months of negotiating on it. We've uh, said, yes, we have to have spending. And here's the good news. Here's the good news. 63% of the American people want a spending limit of some sort attached to debt ceiling. And 10 years ago, it was 62%. So it's climbing, okay? <laughs> so the American people want to do what the Republicans want to do. We've done it before. Obama blessed the idea of having, we, they wanted two point, the Democrats wanted 2.4 trillion debt ceiling increase. The Republicans said, sure, we'll do that for you. We're easy. All we need is 2.4 trillion in, in reduction in spending from your present plans, okay? So we're not talking about cutting the budget by $2.4 tomorrow, but over a 10-year period from present plans, let's bring it down. Uh, and we got exactly that after the Democrats said, why don't we get Social Security and Medicare? Would you help us do that? Can you imagine the press conference, the Republicans said, we've now agreed to do this, and they turn around, the Democrats left. <laughs> just, not just standing out there going... Uh, am I in the middle of traffic here? So did did we uh, real did we realize the two, did we actually realize the two point four trill over the ten years ten years later? More, more. Here's the interesting thing: there was a little divot in there where the spending went down instead of up slowly, and where it went down, the defense people had a minor hissy fit, and this is why uh, Obama was sure that we'd fold. We didn't fold. What we did was we had a, a minor tweak in one of the entitlement programs, just out, you know into eternity, which gave us something of the value of net present value, three trillion. We got more in the fix in terms of today, if you had three trillion, you could pay all of the stuff that they were not going to do. So we actually dropped our net indebtedness by three trillion in that little tweak. Plus the 2.4 was largely accomplished. And it was very, very helpful. The left went nuts, which is why they're going to go, we can't do this again. We can't do this again. Let's not play this game. I think the Republicans, as long as they can hold, this is where Biggs can, can make a difference. He's very big with the uh, Freedom Caucus. If he says we're going to provide 218 for the best deal we can, it actually gets us at least as much spending as, as that ceiling. We'd, we'd love more. I, I, I want more. You know, I want 10 times more. But if we can get that, we will deliver the 218. Then the Republican leadership can go in and negotiate with Biden and win. If people are wandering around going, well, we don't know if we like that. It's not perfect. We're not going to vote for it. Then McCarthy has no cards at all. And then Biggs and the Freedom Caucus get to decide, does McCarthy go in and be able to dictate we have to have this? Or does he have standing behind him a bunch of people going, well, you do something, but we'll think about it. We'll have to second guess. You can't second guess a negotiation. It never happens. So that's what people did for Boehner the last time. And was that everything that I could imagine in a fantasy? Uh, well, if I forgot the Constitution, let the president veto things, and that the Senate got to vote on things, I could imagine better. But given that I'm fairly aware that the Constitution exists and the president vetoes things and the Democratic Senate can say no, it was a very good deal 10 years ago. It'd be a good deal this time. And it's not, I think we can explain very easily to the American people because we have to explain it through and around the press. The press will lie the whole time about what's happening. And we need something so simple that the American people go, I understand what that is. What are the press complaining about? That's what my, that's always my concern more than ever, right, is that 63% who want this, right, are they ever going to find out that we did it and why we did it? Yes, yes. And, and, and what we're doing is actually what they asked for because it'll be portrayed as, you know, they've been announcing that we want to gut Social Security and Medicare. Nobody suggested that except the Democrats. 
And they quote each other saying that that's what the Republicans want to do. <laughs> so very good that both Mitch McConnell and uh, Kevin McCarthy both said, we're not touching Social Security and Medicare. That was the first trick they tried 10 years ago. And we said, we're not playing with you. Then the, and we said, this time we're not. Then they came back and said, well, what you mean is $2.4 trillion in deficit reduction? Read some, all of it can be taxes. How about that? And that is what they wanted. At the end of the day, I ran into uh, Kerry, the Democrat uh, Kerry of Massachusetts, who was leading the Democrat fight in the Senate. And he said, Grover, we're so close to a deal. We're $1.2 trillion away from doing it. And here's what we want. $1.4 trillion in taxes. Let me get this straight. We're 1.2 short. <laughs> and you want it not only all to be taxes, but you want more. Well, yes, because the president needs another $400 billion in stimulus in a spending reduction package. These people were not serious. <laughs> that was their position. I said, you know what? I'll see what I can do. Well, um, you mentioned the other dirty S word, which is the Senate. What's the, what, what's the dynamics at the Senate that you see that, you know, needs, something needs to happen here to be uh, a positive win for the taxpayer? Well, there are seven Democrats running in red seats, and there's some that may not uh, run again, so they're more endangered ones. Uh, we have a more coherent Senate campaign this time, uh, and I think we are very likely to take the Senate. So the Democrats, they gave us the deal we got with Obama to save Obama in the next election. And it worked, by the way. It worked. Um, they're going to try and save that Senate. I think we can do two things. I can't think we can... Um, get the spending down and get some Democrat votes for it, because you have to have 60 votes to pass something in the Senate if somebody wants to filibuster. And you know that the liberals, liberals, <laughs> the most radical guys over there, will want to filibuster. Uh, so we're going to need 60 votes. We're going to need a lot of scared Democrats. And the good news is that there are scared Democrats in, uh, in the Senate. I don't know how they expect to win in Ohio, increasingly red. I don't expect to see how they expect to win in Montana. I mean, there are a whole series of states that are increasingly difficult or impossible for them to get a senator across the finish line. All right, my last question. I know you got to go. Um, the um, with, let's say let's say Cinema and Mansion are, are are on board with this, right? Could they could could you could you do the reconciliation thing without like they did in the old Re days to get something done? Yeah, reconciliation requires a majority in the Senate, but you're suggesting they could give that to us. No, but they can't. Remember. Those two would still get you to 50-50, and the Democrat vice president would stop it. And the president has to agree, too. You really need all three, president, uh, majority in the Senate, and a majority in the House. we got the House, we don't have the Senate, and we certainly don't have the presidency. Gotcha. So real progress on these things, on entitlements and reforming them in a way that uh, is a good idea and will stick and that people will be happy with, that requires a Republican House, which we should be able to strengthen in. Uh, in the next two years, a Republican Senate, which as long as we just do things right, we should be able to do. And we need to win a president. We need to win the presidency. What's what's an important date coming up that we should be paying attention to when it comes to this debt limit stuff? Yeah, about six months from now. Okay. We'll move around to that, but it's, it's six months from now. All right. All right. Grover, get to your meeting. Thanks for calling in, man. I appreciate it. You got it. Thank you. Later, Migo. Our friend Sean, who's going to breaking news you have you have one of those little news uh those little news stingers you know that does i, I want to give sean a little sean uh has got some city you of thought would, <laughs> you thought i was gonna leave you chris <laughs> no I he got your he, back man i got your sticks <laughs> you know that <laughs> and yes i'm extremely lucid today i'm having a nice hot cup of tea with like eight tea bags in it man i almost got the shakes over this stuff and, and i 
We're just being supportive in your lucidity. This is silently. Oh, I was before I well, since you said Genesis, and I know you just played him. Uh, it's no fun being an illegal alien. What a great tune. Uh, the, Bill Collins and the boys. I love this. It's fun. I, I, pr- pretty I, prescient, maybe? pretty prescient tune for 1980s England group. <laughs> You know, <laughs> pretty. It's, uh, would you say it's a little bit ahead of its time? It's way ahead of its time. Yes, I will go with a big solid yes. But I, I, I hope the audience didn't miss this. You know, Sean <laughs> comes back from Northern Arizona, and, and Matt, and Matt comes on, and I'm sure with their car dial. Bring your date to the dump. Valentine's Day is this for real? So hold on, let's really let, let, let's go to Matt at the sub news desk. Matt, can you fill us in on this, please? Thank you. Here we go. The city of Tucson is offering a Valentine's Day experience, a tour of the landfill. The city is offering a Valentine's Day, this is on the 8 o'clock news, Valentine's Day tour of the Los Reales Sustainability Campus and Republic Services uh, Services Materials Recovery Facility on uh, Tuesday the 14th. The tour will include a bus ride, (laughs) a tour of recyclables, Hazardous waste and <laughs> methane gas production process, Christopher. But don't wait because uh, because the deadline to get your uh, reservation is the tenth. Call now. <laughs> operators, <laughs> operators are standing by. <laughs> oh my god! Now is this, is this real? This, this is, is this is like the onion. Is, this can't be real. It's not April first. This is from the city of Tucson. <laughs> they're going to pay for a bus to take you through the dump. I mean, <laughs> who's my tour guide? Is it? I mean, this sounds like a Kevin Doll special, right? Did yeah. I did I not send oh, this no, to you? Rob Sterling. Rob Sterling's going to be there. Can you imagine you get on the bus? <laughs> the name of the show, right? Then, uh, welcome to the Twilight Zone. You and your lady can bring your bag lunch to the dump. Oh, oh my God, Chris! <laughs> God help me! God help me! I try. You know, I mean, this is the last three times I've called him in my uh, completely straight, which is you know a stretch of the imagination. Well, everyone loved your last call, so you're doing good. Stay, oh, we had fun. Yeah, that's why you hung out for a half hour. Now, gentlemen. <laughs> Yeah. They got to have fifteen participants, otherwise it's a no go. So they got to have at least fifteen. So, oh, I might just go ahead and sign. Is there any cost involved in this? Do we have a cost basis on this? Can't uh, be. No, got to be. But free. they ask that you bring a water bottle, wear long pants, <laughs> <laughs> oh, <God>. oh, <laughs> or pants oh, at all, <laughs> clothes, which which rules me out, uh, closed-toed shoes, hats, and sunscreen. Oh, oh boy! You gotta wear they pants. Probably provide, they'll probably provide the hard hat. They'll probably go ahead and give you the safety vest and the bank. Well, you don't get to keep it. I mean, they can't afford that. But yeah, they'll get you the little hard hat and the funny little safety vest, you know. And you get to. <laughs> oh. So if you don't get fifty, there. what they're saying is the environment's not important enough for their gar. Their garbage isn't important enough that if 15 people aren't there to pay attention to Kevin Dahl or some nerd from environmental services, we're not running the tour. That's what I... We got standards here, kids. We need 15 people. Right. 15 clothes people. So you, I, my thing is you're going to get out of the I bus, 
Wow. So we have, we, have a, wake you, we have a field report from one of our uh, Bustos Media correspondents. So, uh, uh, Reporter Charles, uh, could you join us there? I just want to advise Sean to look at the header on the bus, you know, the the route uh, the route message on the top. And if it says oh, Soylent no. Green, don't get on. I'll <laughs> 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 see you guys. God, I'm going to choke on my tea. Thank you, Charles. Lawrence, Lawrence just said this makes taking his wife on the elk hunt on Valentine's Day much more romantic. So... <laughs> Oh, honey, guess what? I mean, aren't you supposed to dress up for Valentine's Day a little bit? And well, yeah, yeah. it says you got to have pants. Well, I'm just saying. I mean, maybe your your lady wants to wear a special dress or something like that, and they're going to keep oh. you from doing that. I guess you can just That's get the. Go- no flag, I, I think. I, are they going to be? Are they going to be? Is, is Rahina going to be leading you to make garbage angels like snow angels? Is that why they want it you did to not have give that detail? Oh, that may be a surprise. That'd be hot. <laughs> that pattern is full, Ghost Rider. That's for you, Sean. Trash. Trash angels, I love it. Do some trash Welcome angels, to Tucson, ladies and gentlemen. We'll pour Welcome a little. Get a, get one of those fake, uh, you know, those plastic champagne glasses, and then pour a little Martinelli's apple cider on it, and uh, really do it up. I'm I'm talking. It sounds like a good time to me. It used to be in the old bus that would take you up to what we call the drunk bus would take us to the concert up at uh, back when Cricket Pavilion. Remember that one? Oh, I thought I thought you were going to go hardcore and say Compton Terrace for Rat in 1987 or something. <laughs> I was there. I saw Rat in '87. I, I know. I saw him at the Trocador. The Trocador. Yeah, I was there. I was on Sun. Bill Bill Beard, fifteen start on the bus, oh, but how ha- how many are still in the seats in the bus at the end of the tour? <laughs> I just I, I can just see him like I can see the little you know the the basket like when they have those big things for the city a big basket of muffins. <laughs> and some raspberry uh, gourmet. Uh, so well, I don't even. This know. Ha- this the, this has television precedence, kids. Okay, when Kramer was doing the reality tour on Seinfeld, the Kramer reality tour, and uh, Elaine had all those muffin stubs. Sean just reminded me in the garbage bag, and he had to take them to the dump. So part of the Kramer yeah. reality tour is he did drive to every dump in New York City to give muffin stumps out. So we're there. <laughs> so. I have. I, I don't know. I, I really do think truth is possibly stranger than fiction right now. Oh, I, I, people say, I just saw a friend yesterday. He's like, um, oh, I, I, you know, I saw, I saw uh, Brian Jeffries. He was doing the Tommy Lloyd show yesterday at Union. He goes, well, how's things going in the talk radio business? I go, I can't make it up, bro. I mean, that was literally the first <laughs> thing out of my mouth. And then we have <laughs> the city of Tucson offering Valentine's Day dates at their dump. <laughs> I Well, you I guess if you woke up and they took the little kitties out of Dunham Elementary over here and put them all in, on a school bus and took them down and toured the dump, they'd probably learn more than they will in their school. So maybe it's a 15-passenger van. I just hope, for Paul's sake, they didn't rent it from Avis because that would be a problem. I just want to know who the single person's going to be. Kevin Dahl. That's oh. what I think. So, Uh-oh. Sean, thanks for your breaking news as always, sir. We have our friend Kevin Daly here, Tucson Crime Free. Shock Jock Radio, as we like to say, which gets uh, Kevin people like Kevin in trouble coming on Shock Jock Radio is what we've heard. So. Well, we'll, ri- we'll risk it. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. It's, it's, it's cool. It's cool. Uh, you know, you, you, uh, uh, Chris, you've been so good at... Uh, I mean, it, it's important to um, have have a way to get the message out about important issues, and um, you're, do- you're doing a good thing. 
I, I was just telling someone who just moved here in the last few months, and they're trying to understand this, you know, crime and what's going on. And I tell them to go listen to three uh, things on our YouTube page. One is the interview I did with Chad Kazmar, mm-hmm. right, and talking about staffing levels and where they're at on certain things. Right. Then it's explain the pain with the Tucson Crime Free Coalition. Right. Right. And then it's my interview with Nate Foster, the detective, talking about how broken staffing is. Right. Right. Uh, and you'll know everything you need to know. That's right. That's right. We've we've got some serious structural issues. I remember so when we talk about the the bad driving in this town, right? Okay. <laughs> we always talk about that. Right. Though. So Chad Chad <laughs> said that when Magnus was here, they he got the motors down, the motor cops down to 5, right? Chad got it up to 15, but they're supposed to be at 50 minimum, right? So that's if there's no consequences for bad driving. <sighs> right? And then when the Rona happened and we were locking people down and they weren't on the roads, there were people driving around like maniacs because they thought, well, this is a wide, cushy road with nobody on it, <laughs> right? Oh, and then God forbid I'm watching The Bachelor on my phone at the same time. Oh, and I might be drunk or messed up on fentanyl. There well, we <laughs> yeah, you know, all, 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 uh, all challenges of the day, I suppose. You are correct. So you guys did this uh, point in time where you were counting homeless, mm-hmm. and you're in this area, uh, we call it Northern Pliskin Acres, is where you're, you guys were counting, Northwest mm-hmm. Pliskin Acres. So, what, what, so what, what are people not seeing? The typical Tucsonan who's just in their car, most likely, maybe walking on a sidewalk. What are they not seeing below? What's going Because those pictures that are on TucsonCrimeFree.com right now are amazing. I mean, I think I've seen all these... They're amazingly eye-opening. The yes. pictures that you guys have on there. Well, I think I think I think what you should see there is it 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 it's. I mean, people are hunkered down for for the long term. I mean, yes. um, they've they've got some very elaborate structures and communities um, in very dangerous places. Yeah. And um, what's most disturbing about it is we are because we have informants <laughs> all through the city and the county. Um, everybody knows about it um, and it's just being allowed to continue and so it's enabling behavior. Yeah, I was amazed by the density of structure and crap. Yes. Um, And you you realize that you know, uh, I had not been, you know, this point in town count was really um, wonderful for me because um, wonderful in 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 a way that it supported what I was concerned about when we started this whole thing. I was concerned about the fact that people were living in washes. And this wash, this Flowing Wells wash, is a raging river. I mean, it, it gathers water from as far as Country Club. Sure. And, um, uh, and it washes all that stuff into the Santa Cruz. And I've got the video, you know, and, and the videos are on our, <laughs> on our webpage and all that. And this, that's why, you know, originally um, I was concerned about this because we had these people living in the wash and um, the city of Tucson wasn't doing anything. They weren't, they didn't seem distressed about it at all, even when we were publicizing it, even when we were on the news. But these people are in literal danger because this wash is nasty. Well, we I mean, we saw the videos from the last big uh, rain thing that happened uh, starting on MLK weekend, right? Mm-hmm. Where literally these people are trapped right. in the middle while the water is blowing Well, that's by. what I thought we were going to have last monsoon season um, is those images. Um, 
but the the point is is that uh, uh, all that stuff is is clogging up. Um, I mean, you see that stuff, and I know that there's more there than there ever was, but that stuff is literally going to clog up um, the the drainage channels. Um, and you know, um, well, they'll tell you that you know, the city is well. That's Pima County's problem. They take no, care of actually, it's it's a city of Tucson problem. It's, it is. It's, yeah, yeah. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, they own they own all that. Um, Within the city, within the city, um, they physically own it. They don't spiritually own it. <laughs> yeah, they don't. <laughs> uh, the yeah, difference. they don't overtly uh, uh, call it out as theirs. Yeah, yeah. Um, unfortunately, what's really, um, I think there's there's two dynamics about the reaction to this, right? And like I said, twenty seven hundred members. You're moving. You're getting more things done in any business well, advocacy me, thing that I've ever let seen. Me, let me tell you something. Um, we never intended. We we thought that this when we first started this coalition, we thought it was going to be, hey, let's let's collaborate. Let's create a regional um, uh, effort to to address these these problems, right? And we thought it would be like, hey, let's let's let you know that we're concerned about this. But it, it, every every step along the way, um, except for the county, um, except for the supervisors Bronson, Christie, and Scott, um, uh, they we have to like continue to spoon feed um, uh, every every solution because people just they, they don't take the cue. You know, um, we've been we've been advised that you guys should step back. <laughs> and you should you should just say what you you know what the problem is and let people fix it. But we did that. We tried that at first, and then we found out that they just couldn't weren't couldn't take the next step. Well, you're 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 in the right. As we like to say, if you're not taking flack, you're not over the target, right? And there's two dynamics of this of your efforts, which I find I'm not surprised, but it's mildly disturbing, right? So. The people who, for some reason, want to take a much softer stance on the drug criminality side of this, and that's what's driving all this, Chris. <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, it's it not. Right. Um, it, it, it's it, it's not homeless first. It's drugs first. Right. I mean, we are we are literally the fentanyl's winning. It's winning, and it's going to keep winning. We're we're going to lose if we don't address the cause. Uh, one of the one of the biggest causes and one of the biggest crises we've ever seen, if not the biggest. No, it's true. The 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 most important chamber of commerce is the fentanyl chamber of commerce. Mm -hmm. It rules the roost in this in this in this city right now. And you know, um, we've seen um, we saw a news report, and I actually heard about it before, but they're talking about another. Um, addictive drug coming and it's um um uh they called it frankenstein Ugh. which is even 40 times more uh <sighs> i mean oh my god you know i mean i mean isn't that isn't that the natural progression it just seems like you know they keep they just keep upping the ante right well what, what, we, what, we what need I, to get together and, what and, i don't like is I, we've had the, we've had officials who keep referring back to the september 15th meeting mm-hmm Right, which that's was that's ancient history. Right, but they keep that, they're still talking about yeah, it. Yeah, and and it's also it's also exactly what it was. It was the public speaking and saying we've got a problem. Please listen to us. Well, the problem was you had a couple of people that went a little over the top. Yeah, but that's we had a couple happen. of people running for office, which that's was called, Wadsack and Jonestown free, grandstanding. That's called free right? speech, though. I, I'm with you. I'm with. I, we trust me. We know about exercising free speech around here. <laughs> That's a reference to Friday show. Now, um, so the other thing, too, is, again, back to, and sad to say one of the supervisors was talking about this, how when you guys came in, in force, right, and yeah. had your, your two- to three-hour call to the public, right. 
sad to say Dr. Hines got pissed off at you guys, right? Because he, he, he missed he missed the point. He did miss the point, right? Because they would say, look, they would talk about criminality. They would say the word homeless. That's mm-hmm. part of the uh, the people who are attacking them are homeless. Yeah, that's just life, yes. right? Yes. But he said, you know, he made it sound like they were attacking. Yeah, I, I keep saying it. The mom with three kids who got priced out of her apartment. It's not it. There's solutions for people right. in that situation. <laughs> right. there, there's a place to take those people. Correct. Th- th- those are the easy ones. And he got so pissed about it. And I got to give our boy Josh Jacobson some credit. Oh God, Josh. <laughs> Josh, Josh at the last call to the audience. Josh, uh, Josh did a great job. Um, he asked. He he just let uh, Doctor Hines know that he he just missed the point. Yeah. And um, you know we, we're not kidding. Um, we'll you know we'll take him down and we'll show him. Um, if he, we don't know if he has actually seen what we've seen. Sure. And he has an invitation to come with us anytime, and we'll take him and show him what we see. This, this and that it's it's not what he's describing. And there's also that see no evil, hear no evil, right? They, right. they are literally have their hands over their... It reminds me of the uh, in the Planet of the Apes when uh, Charlton Heston starts mm-hmm. talking to this Council of Science. Mm-hmm. I remember they all... The, the guy puts his hands over his ears and because he, he doesn't want to hear Charlton Heston talking the monkey, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like that's what some of these elected officials and non-elected officials are doing is they're just covering their ears... And they don't want to see the misery. And we'll just, we'll just say, oh, homeless first. House, we'll get the house first. That's fine. We don't have to deal with this dirty drug thing later. Well, or uh, criminals or I, cops. I, I truly believe that, that you know, people are, uh, are, want to be kind, right? And I, they, want, they want to do the right thing. But the problem is, is the kind of policies that are in place now don't address crime and they don't address accountability. We hold our kids accountable, right? And we hold the... And, Some and, parents do. Well, I know, but uh, parents... <laughs> Responsible parents. Parents, <laughs> parents who end up with kids with good outcomes... Correct. Um, ...hold their kids accountable for their behavior. Yep. Um, we, as a society, have that same responsibility. People have to be held accountable. Otherwise, we don't have a healthy society. Go to TucsonCrimeFree.com, Tucson Crime Free Coalition. Make sure you sign up for the newsletter and become a member. They're uh, closing in on 3,000 members. And at the same time, they have such an amazing... There is an energy about this group that I've I've never seen in the last 20 years of Tucson. So there, there are people who are hurting, and there are people who are hurting so bad right now that they're willing to take action, and we're getting there, so... Dr. Lugo's on the phone. Josh, what's going on, buddy? Good morning, Chris. Um, all the Wakeys uh, here in Tucson. In fact, uh, you know, there's many individuals that sit on City of Tucson Board and Commission. And, but uh, yesterday's at the 2012 Bond Oversight Commission that was approved by the voters back in November of, of 2012. Then when Proposition 101 was passed in 2017, then we also were an oversight commission. But last night, uh, because of the Proposition 411 that passed, now the responsibility will be called now the Independent Oversight Accountability Commission. So after 10 years, it looks like we're going to be there now for 15 years overseeing some of the bond or propositions that the city has done. But at yesterday's meeting, when uh, Ted Maxwell called in uh, a, a couple of weeks ago on your show, I mentioned about the city of Tucson was proceeding forward to widen Fifth Avenue from downtown to Wilma. But as yesterday's meeting, it was announced that from the city's going to proceed forward with widen uh, with the with the improvements of 
Fifth Avenue to Wilmot from Country Club heading east. And what they propose to do is put a six-foot bike lane on both sides, one lane traveling east and west, and a center lane then for a turn lane. Now, what is important here, Chris, is that in past meetings I've asked that about being contacted as a commissioner on meetings to hold because they were doing a study or I believe probably a, a uh, feasibility study. But uh, anyway, the, no meetings were ever held that would be open to the public for public outreach. But it appears now that the city is going to proceed forward as a pilot program. Again, pilot program from Country Club to Wilmot on Fifth Street to do the two six-foot bike lanes. One lane going east and west was a major material that feeds downtown and going east, and then a turn lane. Now, again, the, what I'm going to do, I'm going to put a summary analysis of what was, what was discussed yesterday's meeting by Tucson Department of Transportation uh, representatives there. Because, again, you know, the one thing that, that uh, uh, there's individuals that work for the city that don't understand the government's business is the people's business. should be for the people, by the people, not at the discretion that we're going to decide to proceed forward without public input, which is wrong. And so once I do the summary, then I'm going to send a copy of the summary to mayor and council members that this particular type of program to proceed forward with public input should cease and desist because the public should have a say on, on this project that they want to proceed forward strictly as a pilot program. Again, if they're going to spend money on a pilot program, and if, say, it doesn't work, uh, a lot of us re recall when Fifth Avenue during rush hour was three lanes coming towards downtown and three lanes going east, right, during the break. That didn't work out. And so, again, the, uh, th there's going to have to be some, some public uh, meetings here to hold. So the public, ultimately, because this particular project was never discussed or approved by the Citizens Group Commissioners with Prop uh, 409 and 101. So what you're saying is, I just want to make sure, does I, got, I got this right. And and the traffic count through there is pretty heavy. Yes. Okay, I don't know if you have the, how many cars a day go through there at your fingertips. I'm trying to look it up right now on the PAG thing, but... Um, so what they want to do is go off of what was originally pitched in the bonds? Well, it was, it was never a uh, – this particular project was never discussed as part of a bond, right, only because uh, what the, part, what the, the bonds or propositions were approved for street improvements, whether it be major arterials or neighborhood streets. But not, not design, it, I never saw any language to specify on Fifth Avenue – to do what they were proposing to do do now as a pilot program. And you mean Fifth Street? Just I just want to make sure we're that's, that's correct, Fifth Street. Okay, so I just want to make sure we're cool with that. So, um, so, but they have to make a vote to change that, or they don't need a, a vote to change it, that. It appears that Mayor and Council has approved the direction for TDOT to proceed forward uh, with this project. Wow! Look and at them. So with that, so this way I'm going to I'm going to do a, a summer report. And get it to mayor and council members. Of course, then I'll I'll send the media a copy of it and see if anybody has any uh, from the media standpoint they're willing then to do a story on this because this is not the way the public uh, funds should be dispersed without any public input. Uh, one of the listeners wants to know if uh, ask Jess, please ask Jesse if this is uh, Kazachik is driving this whole thing. 
I, I do not know which uh, council members uh, proceed forward, but uh, but in in an, in another discussion that we had, and this is uh, for since Proposition 409, I've always asked that general funds dollars should be utilized to be used for uh, for transportation, City of Tucson Transportation Department for major arterials, neighborhood streets. Now, last year, Mayor and Council approved $15 million out of the general fund to be then utilized for road improvements, neighborhood streets, and major arterials. Every council member got $2 million. Uh, the mayor got $2 million, but I'm going to get a, a complete announcement because we, what I requested in previous meetings, that I want to know where a council member approved the $2 million uh, without any input from a commissioner that represents her award. Now, we were told last night that the mayor received $2 million, which she spent on the west side, but also the total amount of money that she received from federal funds. I don't know where, but uh, I'm, gonna, I'm requesting that in writing from, from TDOT representative. So at, at the next meeting, which will be on, on Tuesday, February the 13th, we'll give, they'll give, they're supposed to give us a summary report of how the $15 million was, was utilized by every council member and, and, the, and the mayor, uh, because in my opinion, the mayor serves the public at large. And I said from the get-go that the $2 million allocation that was given to the mayor should have been dispersed to equally to every, every ward, so this way those money can be utilized for the continued the, uh, neighborhood streets that are in disrepair right now but because of Proposition 101 uh, that was passed, I'm sorry, Proposition 411 that was passed by the voters, uh, now it appears now that there's going to be some enough monies in to, to then proceed forward with the neighborhood street. But, Chris, that's going to take another additional five years. So that's also at our February 13th meeting. That's going to be discussed how that $50 million was approved. And, again, without input from the commissioner, to to the council member, because we already have a list, and the list is comprised of worst streets first and equitable funds spent to each ward. So this is where the direction of the $50 million should have been deposited into that account. Then we as a commission to approve, uh, to proceed forward to improve our neighborhood streets. So what I see here is interesting. So they want to do... You know, uh, two lanes with a little, you know, little suicide turn lane, right, is what they want to do. And then they want to do on either side a six-foot bike lane. Is that, yeah. I just want to make sure I got that right. Yeah, six-foot bike lanes. Now, if, if, if you want to know what, why six-foot bike lane, if you travel from Speedway down to Congress on Main Avenue, uh, they look like little amarillos with uh, white stripes on the back. And this is, uh, I believe, and this is just to, in case a... a a, uh, a, a vehicle or car, you know, does hit that, it moves them back into the center lane, so this way they don't uh, collide with bicyclists. So I'm looking at the traffic count right now uh, on the PAG, PMA Association of Governments. If you want to geek out, you can do such things. But it looks like about, uh, especially like around Country Club, it's about 14,000 cars a day are going through there. Okay. Right? And then I'm looking at the, uh, the uh, for the last so many years, and the traffic count on that 5th Street is the highest it's been uh, in the last 10 years right now, is what I see. Yeah. In fact, uh, what they, uh, what they uh, uh, announced last night that uh, the major, major arterial streets are 20,000 or more cars. I said, and I wanted a, 
a, a study. I want to know traffic counts uh, based on Fifth Street. I said, and I'm going to ask him in writing for five years, but also at the same time to to understand exactly how this is going to be paid for by taxpayers' funds because, as you and I know, once you adopt a pilot program, what are the chances to then to, to get additional funds to move it back to two lanes and then just leave, if they want to leave, a five-foot five uh, bike lane, which in some areas there is, in place now uh, to put into place. And, and in my opinion, that's never going to be done. So this pilot program will then be permanent for people traveling from Wilmot to downtown going east and west. Well, why don't they just we'll just close it before it's all over? Let's just make it all bikes. That's what I think they'd love to do in the end. Traffic on your Tucson area freeways and uh, no slowing on your freeways. No incidents on our surface streets. Tucson weather, hi today. From the American uh, First America First Policy Institute, sounds mildly Goomba, Mike Vellante. Mike, good morning. <laughs> Originally a Goomba from back east. Yes, good morning. How are you? Not too bad. What part back east? Providence, Rhode Island. All right, that's not bad. That's not prime. That's yeah. good Goomba. It's good Goomba world. <laughs> uh, what, do you, what, do you, uh, what, do you, what do you do for uh, the uh, America First Policy Institute? Actually, I'm the, the center director for the Center for Election Integrity. Um, we have about 19 different centers here at AFPI, all focused on one common mission, which is America First, in terms of policies um, to affect people, uh, taxpayers, voters, and uh, businesses. And uh, the center that we focus on is election integrity and trying to make sure that our elections are easy to vote but hard to cheat. That's a really big sandwich right now to bite onto the old election integrity. <laughs> Tell me about ranked choice voting legislation running through Arizona right now. Well, it, it, they made an attempt to have it on the ballot last year as a referendum. And ironically enough, it's, it's one of those things that was purported to be making elections um, less, less uh, aggressive uh, in terms of negative campaigning, uh, increased voter participation and, and things of that nature. And they didn't make it to the ballot because there were questions about the signatures on the petitions. The, the left, which is interested in taking off really a lot of, if ever, literally almost every guardrail to election integrity, this is their pet project going forward. And one of the things that we believe is that it should be easy to vote but hard to cheat. And ranked choice voting is one of those systems. When you look at it, you just scratch your head and say, how does this work? It's confusing. It's chaotic. Probably the biggest thing I would say uh, is that the winner, the one that gets the most votes doesn't always win in ranked choice voting. And I think basically that's a real problem that we have. Uh, you know, if you get the most votes, you should win. In ranked choice voting, you can easily get someone that finished second or third in the in the ballot counting and at the end when they redistribute votes they end up being the first place winner explain how that works real quick how how do they how what is give me the the definition of what this really is basically you walk into the ballot and there's four people running and instead of voting for one person what they want you to do is to rank the four people that are running your first choice second third and fourth choice if the person that you ranked first doesn't end up finishing first, then what happens or finishes third or fourth, then they get dropped from the the tally. And then all of the people who voted for that person, whoever they voted for second, gets redistributed to the candidates. 
And they do that until there's only one candidate left that got 50 percent. Oh, Lord. Now, I, well, yeah, I mean, just first of all, in a, in a best world situation, that's going to be chaotic and confusing. It's going to be time consuming and it's a lot of pressure on the election workers. But, you know, when you look at you can't get and I say this with all great respect, if you can't get the ballot counting on two candidates, right, just one on one. How are you going to do it with four candidates and ranking them every time someone drops off? The other problem is if you go in and let's say vote for only two candidates and I go in and vote for all four and rank all four and one of my candidates drops off, my vote no longer counts. My vote no longer counts. So that one person, one vote concept, which is the basics of American voting, is thrown out the window with this. Where, where, so basically, uh, did a Democrat or a Democrat drop this bill in, in Arizona? No, it. Actually, what we've done is being proactive about it. It was uh, uh, Senator um, uh, Austin Smith, um, Senate Bill 2552, to prevent ranked choice voting ah. from, from being used in elections. Because, again, the left is spending not millions, but tens of millions of dollars across the country doing signature gathering to get this on the ballot and then running you know, multi-million dollar uh, initiative campaigns to try and convince people this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. And in reality, it's just a a chaotic, confusing system where the winner who gets the person who gets the most votes doesn't necessarily win. All right. Is the last thing we need in our election. Great debut today, Michael. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Dan Shearer, Green Valley News. Mayor Glenn Hatcher. Yeah. One of your crack uh, reporters uh, joined the homeless count. Yeah, shoot. You know, we get this notice every year that there's going to be a federal count of homeless people, and we'll report on, you know, one, that they need volunteers, and then two, whatever they come up with, which last year was in Pima County, about 2,200 people. But this is kind of like uh, the homeless count is kind of like COVID numbers. The only thing you're sure of is that the number is incorrect. Because how, how, do you, <laughs> how do you count that? So this year we said, you know what, why don't you go along as a volunteer, you know, sign up and whatever. So a couple of couple of issues with that. Um, the first was that um, they put you in like a, just this grouping of people and then you meet electronically and exchange messages and everything. And uh, the volunteers, you know, people are excited at first and then they realize, wow, that's going to be a cold morning and they start dropping out one by one by one. So the morning of, and it's a one-day count and it actually doesn't go past, I think, 11 a.m., Uh, you're down to very few volunteers. And then they have divided up uh, our area into these little squares, and I don't know, are there 40 of them or something? And you go to one of those, and you just start looking for people who who, um, look homeless, which is, you know, it's potentially embarrassing. It's like, you know, going up to a woman and saying, um, you know, uh, how long have you been pregnant? And she says, I'm not. Uh, A lot of people are like, I'm not homeless. Uh, but they look at, but that's that's part of the problem. Is uh, you know you're going into abandoned buildings, or you're going to places where they generally set up campsites. Some days there's 50 of them. Some days there's nobody. So the area she went to was out west off of Ajo Road, and uh, there was nobody out there. It's really kind of a rural area, and of course they don't send you alone. And then she came back into the downtown area and and found a few. And so these numbers are then fed into HUD, which then, of course, uh, doles out money based on 
on your number, but this is this is difficult. This is a very difficult thing to to get a count. So I think they counted uh, last year almost um, six hundred thousand in the United States uh, who were homeless. And then again, what is homeless? You know, so there's a lot of a lot of big questions here, but it's an effort to try to get people. So we, we had uh, Kevin Daly from the Crime Free Coalition on yesterday, and he participated up in the North Plissken Acre area, mm-hmm. and he talked about some of the questions they had to ask. Right? Is were you homeless last night? Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, is this your first time being homeless? Right? And then what, of course, is you know they would say yes, I've been homeless for seven years, but yes, it's my first time being homeless. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so. Yeah. I, I guess it's a tough number, like you say, to figure out. I feel like I don't. I, I feel like they want to. It's it's so weird. If you're the bureaucrat or the elected, right? Do you want it lower or higher? Higher means more dough, but lower means there's not as much of a problem. Right, <laughs> and then our, our numbers are going to be higher, of course, this time of year because the weather's nicer than it is in almost any other part of the country, and so. Uh, but that's why everyone does it on the same day, and uh, it's. It's it's a rough number to get to, but um, you, you know if you take these numbers to the bank, it would probably be you know laughed out of there. So it's just uh, it's just a shot in the dark, but it's at least an attempt. I assume you got a chance to look at this uh, memo I sent you this morning, right? Yes, I did. So just to let everyone know, I haven't even talked about it because uh, this got sent to me by various different people up in Pima County government who are kind of mildly disturbed by this is uh this came out from the clerk of the board um and basically it went out to all the supervisors and a bunch of staff and it sounds this is from what i'm hearing this is coming of course from adelita uh is number one they would like this is going to count this is going to cover the county administrator and the board of soups that all agenda items submitted must include a agenda item form, which will be reviewed by legal counsel prior to placement of the agenda item. The clerk of the board reserves the right to return an incomplete or inaccurate item from the form, including any of these, so they, they could kick it back to you if the bureaucrat doesn't think it's accurate or complete enough, All right, which puts them in a horrible position, too. Uh, and then... Uh, once the all addendum items submitted must include the, the item report form, which will be then reviewed by legal counsel prior to the placement of the item on the addendum or on the addendum. So what we're saying is, Dan, Adelita Grajalva wants your, if you're an elected official, if it doesn't get approved, your form doesn't get approved by the clerk of the board and then her former TUSD attorney, Mr. Brown, then it's not going on an agenda. Yeah, right. and that's the well. There's a lot of disturbing things about this, but nobody will ever see it. Nobody will ever know. And and legal counsel prior to the placement of the item, as you, as you were reading, uh, they can pretty much exclude agenda or addendum items. And this is this is a uh, this is interesting because, of course, the very first question is, oh, well, what's the problem, Ben? What what are you trying to uh, to solve here, has there really been issues where agenda items have gotten the supervisors into legal uh, trouble to the point that they need to do what kind of really is kind of a, like a prior restraint here, where uh, before it even gets out there, 
they're going to make sure it doesn't get out there. So is it a uh, solution in search of a problem? Is it, uh, is it necessary? Uh, or what's, what's the point of this? So I'll be looking forward to the discussion on this one, but it's potentially very, um, very dangerous, I think. I hope a certain local plucky newspaper could possibly reach out to a supervisor or two before Tuesday and get their take on this, because I would love to know what that is. Uh, yeah, they will be asked. I pre- you, can, you can count on it. I appreciate. It. I just, I just feel like you know, uh, we're we're just we're just thwarting the will of the voter here, right? That if somehow your 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 supervisor's not in vogue with the powers that be, including the chairwoman, and bureaucrats are put in a position where they can kill your putting an agenda item on. What are we doing? Well, and if you want to really look at pretty much every issue they look at, you can make an argument that there could be legal consequences. And, um, okay, but that's what we deal with every every day. I make dozens of decisions every day that could have legal consequences. Uh, but you just got to know your business and uh, know what's worth going to the wall for and, and push on ahead rather than be fearful, which is really what this amounts to is, oh, we might get sued. Well, you, you can get sued over anything. So what what is this review for? What problem is it solving? What issues have we had in the past? How many times in the past do we wish that we had had this in place and would it have saved us? I think we're going to discover that this is um, highly unnecessary. And real quick, um, this is um, state looks to repeat retailers overcharging customers. This is something you guys have been on like dogs on a bone. Is is this basically some of these convenience stores again? Well, it, it could be anybody, but um, this was kind of a bigger look at exactly how they do their job. And um, uh, these are the, the Department of Weights and Measures from the state. They come down, they look at, uh, they'll just kind of do a surprise inspection. You as a retailer have to hit 98% of the prices on the shelf have to match what they ring up at the cash register. We've had some as low, low as 30% in this area, and sometimes it's nickel and diming. Other times it could be a buck or two, but that's not the point. The point is that uh, one is not matching the other, and then uh, we're kind of getting to the reasons of this, and then what can the state do beyond just throwing all of these penalties uh, at a uh, at a specific store? And we have seen in other states that there are actually states suing Walmart and Dollar General over these very issues. So this is kind of a deeper dive than actually just focusing on one business. But we've had a couple of them that just keep over and over and over. Uh, we're talking seven inspections and they still don't have it right. Wow. Big problem. Well, Dan, thanks for doing what you do and having this discussion every other Wednesday. Always enjoy it, and uh, let me know how the the, the, uh, reporting goes on that Pima County thing because we're going to be on this one hard. GVnews.com. Look for it. Thanks, amigo. Have a good day. Dan Shearer, Green Valley News. We got our friend U.S. Congressman David Schweikert on the line. So you're you're turning into a little bit of a YouTube... uh, you're like one of these influencers now, I think, on YouTube. But uh, yeah, it's a weird. It's it's something's going on out there in society when you have functioning a million some people willing to watch some idiot from Scottsdale um, stand in front of a television camera with a bunch of boards and talk about debt and economics and economic growth for half an hour. Um, but it's hopeful, actually. Um, maybe we're at that inflection where 
the American people are saying, okay, I'm tired of being talked to like a child. I'd really like to get away from the shiny object looking enraged and walk me through what the hell's really going on and what do we do to fix it? So it's happening. Um, I, I see this little niche happening, and the one that seems to be is Forbes magazine, right? So Forbes is taking these clips of various uh, congressional people who are making some good points, and they're pounding it out there and getting a really good following of people who want a little bit of meat on their video clip. So yeah, I, I think and, I think and, you're and falling and into for that. Me what they, but for me, what they've been doing is doing, you know, like the entire speech instead of just the clips. And um, we had one from, you know, 10 days ago. I think it's over 600,000 views right now. Um, and, and some of the stuff I'm presenting is actually fairly complex. I well, mean, I do my very best to make it absorbable, but you're still talking things with 14 zeros. The one thing I want to talk about, the video from last week, which is the one where you, 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 you lost your temper a little bit. Okay, which is not very David-like. Yeah, far too much caffeine. Well, even with all that caffeine pumping through you, you usually don't do this. But you got pissed off because you were talking about you're sick of reporters, right? Oh, and we should talk about this because this is the big con that's going on right now. All right, so um, I, so you, you, got, you got pissed off at your going yeah, on you right got, now. You got pissed off on your on your clip last week about well, the press. And, and okay, so the pollsters for the Democrats have figured out saying, okay, the way we're going to attack Republicans this cycle is we're going to accuse Republicans of wanting to cut Social Security and Medicare. And so they now, the Democrats, and these are you know the same people you see all the time. They're the paid protesters that work for the DCCC are out in front of the building right now. They're following you around the inside the Capitol with cameras running up saying, why do you want to cut Social Security and Medicare? And we're all looking at them going, huh? Um, it, it's even today, the newspapers show up in front of the offices, and they're wrapped in things, and it's some um, union front group. Oh, don't let you know conservatives and, and the Republicans cut Social Security and Medicare. Up until a couple days ago, I was the senior Republican over Social Security. There's never, ever, ever been a member who's come to me and said, let's talk about cutting Social Security. It just doesn't happen. Social Security, according to the CBO, this is a couple days ago, Congressional Budget Office said, you got 10 years left on the trust fund and it's gone. And at that point, average Social Security recipient will get about a 23% cut, and then the cuts get bigger over time. I don't mind having a discussion of how you save Social Security. Really hard to have that discussion of how you save it when the press and the Democrats that you must have work with you on the subject are saying, oh, they're trying to get rid of it, or they're trying to cut it. It's like they cared more about the politics and the weaponization of it than they gave a damn about saving it. And it just shows you how sick the left has become. They care so much more about winning the next election than they actually the morality of doing the job. Yeah. Now, the, um, you've always talked about when we've talked about this, how to save, try to at least mitigate the damage to Social Security, was always about growth, right? And yeah. growing revenue. And, you know, when you guys wrote the tax, the Trump tax cuts, you, you, you made a little dent, right? For a Oh, yeah. No, no, yeah. It was at, in that eighteen nineteen, economic growth and labor force participation and wages going up without inflation, um, we gained like in a year, year plus of actuarial soundness, which is a lot of money. Um, and if we hadn't hit the pandemic, if we kept been able to keep that going, we wouldn't be talking about 10 years 
you know, we'd be talking about 16, 17 years, but um, the math is the math. And what you find in Washington, D.C. is the math that most of my Democrat colleagues care about is the next election's math, not actually saving the country. Um, And then you have Medicare. Medicare is three-quarters of all future borrowing. We've got to be honest about it. It's demographics. We've got old as a society. And the way you take that on is innovation, cures. You need a disruption in the cost of health care. You're not going to do it through moving financing around. Tell me about uh, your most recent one is America's report. Americans are poorer today than they were last year. How much poorer? Yeah, this is another one I was very angry about. Um, so you have the D's, the Democrats, and the White House talking about how great the economy is. And then at the very same time, you have the Jason Furman's of the world, and you know he's a right-winger. Um, that was sarcasm for anyone listening. That's Who's, who's a, Jason Furman? Uh, a, a left-wing economist who's worked for the administration. Okay. Um, and making it the point, saying, for most of America, inflation has been going up substantially faster than their wages, meaning every single day you are a bit poorer. And parts of Maricopa County actually have the highest inflation in the continental United States, meaning my folks, the folks I represent, um, today are like 4.5% poorer than they were a year ago. They, they're actually, their purchasing power went down. They are poor. And that's pretty consistent across the country, maybe not at that same percentage. So all these folks who are desperately trying to happy talk the economy, fine, happy talk it. But when you go to the grocery store, when you go try to buy something, when you start to look at everything else in your life, most Americans are poorer today than they were just one year ago. I mean, it just has to be that way. I mean, just when you look at the cost of living your life, everything is just, it's just ridiculous. It's not even close anymore. It's just, and then you talk about shrinkflation of products. It's... Yeah. But but it's some... D.C. has always been a perverse place. But the intellectual vacuous um, press and others saying, well, that's not true. They would never say that's not true as long as it's a Democrat saying it. Uh, it hit me when I was walking down the uh, one of the aisles at Fry's, and this older couple were looking at, I, I kid you not, the bag of Funyuns, right? Which are basically... Well, you, you have made, um, you know what, recreational there, so, you know. <laughs> All right, and so Funyuns, and the older lady turns to her husband, and she goes, $6 for a bag of Funyuns? Get the hell out of here! I, <laughs> I like it, but at some point, and I bet you, if you walked up and asked them how they were registered, they're Democrats, yeah. and they, but they and, and they have trouble associating the left's economic policies with the fact there's a six dollar bag of Funyuns. You are all true, all true. You, they, again, just, what are two low hanging pieces of fruit when it comes to oversight and through ways and means for you? We. We need to almost immediately dive into the pandemic fraud. How big was the enhanced unemployment fraud? And we're seeing some researchers saying it may be the largest fraud in world history. Yikes. All right. Keep up the good work, sir. Have a great weekend. All right. Goodbye now. We have a, uh, I'm going to call her internet superstar. Uh, Sean, Sean, how are you doing, young lady? Cooking with Sean, Sean. Good. How are you? Thank <laughs> you for having me this morning. Not a problem. I, I have eaten your food that you have cooked. I have seen you cook it. 
We've gone to some mm-hmm. good restaurants together in the past. Mm-hmm. You are the, the I feel like one of the the real deals in this arena. And uh, <laughs> just I because wish. you don't quote own a restaurant doesn't mean that you're not making it happen. So welcome yes. to the show. Thank you. Uh, good morning, everyone. So just a quick intro about myself. I am originally from southwestern region of China. My name is Shan. I always spell my name because people don't know how it's pronounced or spelled. S H A N. And I Why do you say it twice? Shan Shan. Yeah. Um, it's because because you keep spelling it to everyone twice <laughs> over, <laughs> and then you keep saying it's Shan Shan. No, that's that has a lot to do with Chinese culture. So Shan is my name, but Shan Shan is more of a nickname that your friends were close. You know, family, they would call you. It's basically like Chris, Chris. I okay. got gotcha. you. Yeah, that's that. Okay. Anyway, so yeah, I was going to introduce myself, but now you totally interrupted me. That's what I do. <laughs> that's exactly what I do. All right. So, so anyway. you said you're from southwest Western China, right? Chongqing. So that's the city we would consider the capital city of hot pot. <sighs> okay. If you ever had a Chinese hot pot, you know that's. Kind of spicy, big pot you boil food in and later served in a dipping sauce, right? So anyway, um, so when I moved to the U.S., I was just like everybody else. I was following a lot of food creators on YouTube and other social medias. One of them inspired me to start my own channel. Obviously, food was my passion. I was influenced by my parents as well as my grandmother, who is like hundred years old, still lives in the village where I'm from. So I. So your, your dad liked to cook also. My dad did, but my mom cooked more than okay. my dad. Yeah. Gotcha. My grandmother, though, she cooked a lot. I mean, like I said, she just lived a simple life in a small village. You know, she's hundred years old. She has never traveled anywhere further than thirty minutes. Yeah, but anyway, so I wanted to start the cooking channel so we can spread the love and the passion for authentic Chinese cooking and more.、Uh, one of the dishes I make will be、uh, twice cooked pork that you are eating right now. <laughs> Looks awesome.、Um, and also mapo tofu or kompao chicken that a lot of people know about, and also hot pot class that I do from time to time with uncommon goods. Uh, that's the hot pot class I do too.、Uh, basically, I'm the instructor showing people how to make at-home hot pot.、Um, yeah, I also share my recipes on Whisk app, which is a recipe sharing app you can download on your phone.、Um, you know, I have、uh, nearly 200 recipes now, still counting that I'm working on. Yeah, I hope that we can connect each other over there. <laughs> you want to follow along on Cooking with Shan Shan, and that's S H A N Cooking with Shan Shan dot com,、mm-hmm. and then that has the links to go to、uh, Facebook, TikTok, and or Instagram and YouTube to watch these videos that she does, and then of course the recipes that go along with it. Who was this、uh, YouTube other ch- YouTube channel that? What was the the one that inspired you to do your own? Which one was that? Uh, she's also Chinese YouTube、um, creator, and she also is from the city that I'm from, Sichuan or Chongqing region. But she does more like fashion, cooking stuff, not just the cooking.、Uh, just one of the videos she made, she talked about how she started the. Uh, channel, you know her name is Vicky. She started the channel. What softwares she、um, started using, and、uh, you know how much money it cost her to start the channel. All the tips that、um, is very good for starters like myself. So she said something: If you want to start your channel. 
don't make an excuse, do it now. So that was very inspiring. And when I thought to myself, what will be a good content for me to start? Obviously, it was food and cooking. That's what something inspired me and I'm very passionate about. And also, it's something that I can see myself doing for a long time. That's why, you know, we started doing so, this. So, yeah. uh, if you went back to, so you said you've made 200 videos so far or so? Or? Just uh, for cooking tutorials only, yes. All right. So, if you went back to your first one you ever did, right? Mm-hmm. What were the lessons that you learned of that first one on how you got got better? You know, uh. what, what, what would Sean go back? If Sean went back to the Sean of episode number one, what would you tell her how to do it better? Besides, my kitchen was on fire. (laughs) (laughs) Hold on, I can tell you. The first one, I would say, so at first I was just doing videos uh, like in landscape view, how you would post your video on YouTube, right? But then TikTok is 16 by 9, so the size is a little off. Uh, at first, I was just posting what I was doing on YouTube, on TikTok. But, you know, the size doesn't look good for uh, viewers. So I learned a lot through other um, creators how they did their videos better. I changed what I did from the landscape view to the 16 by 9 size. So that was good ad- ad- adjustment, excuse me. Shorter. Yeah. Um, so yeah, to make it shorter, also have everything laid out clearly. Uh, yeah, that's something that I had to adjust. But if you ask me, like, what I would, would what I would done differently if I go back, mm, uh, can't think of anything. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> What's your interaction with the? With the, the like on TikTok because they're 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 skew, they're going to skew much younger. Do they mm-hmm. interact with you? Do they contact you about things? Are they following you up on like, hey, how did you do this or how yeah, did that work? I actually go live quite often on TikTok, maybe two or three times a week, and I do get a lot of young kids as well as working mom and dads come to my live. I will be showing them, you know, okay, this is how. You can easily peel a ginger without a peeler or a knife because it can be very unsafe to do so. You can easily use a spoon, you know, to scrape it off. That's kind of the cooking technique that I would like to share with people. And then they would like to ask me a question about, you know, what is twice cooked pork? You know, how did you do it in authentic Chinese way? And then sometimes when I'm in the middle of cooking and then share something that we would do in our, <coughs> excuse me, Chinese culture, and then one of the kids will be like, oh my gosh, that's exactly what my mom or grandmother will be doing. That's a very Chinese way of doing it. So a lot of interactions and then they have a question about my background, you know, myself, my grandmother, as well as some cooking technique throughout my session on TikTok. What's your uh, what's your most viewed video? It is, is Chinese egg rolls. <laughs> of course. Okay. Yeah, even though it's not a, a I would call authentic Chinese dish, but it's quite popular. It's over 1.1 million views on that video alone. What's, what's the ingredients in a Shan Shan egg roll? What, 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 what makes up a Shan Shan egg roll? So I had a few uh, recipes for egg rolls. One of them is only three ingredients involved, okay? Ground meat, you can use pork, chicken, or beef, or turkey. And the second one is uh, smashed carrot, 
Last one is shredded cabbage. All right, and then marinade wise. Hold on, you you got my attention with smashed carrot. What what are you doing? Are you beating up the <laughs> carrot? What's going on here? Yes, Chinese flavor. <laughs> <laughs> no, basically you have like shredded, kind of close to smashed texture. Okay. You can use the cheese grater to kind of grate the carrot. Okay. Yeah, that's what I meant. You don't meant. smash it after you shred well, it. No, not That'd even. be fun. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, would, sometimes oh. it's very therapeutic, you know, to do that. <laughs> see Sean beating the hell out of a carrot uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. on TikTok would be great. That's why uh, I what, out of the kitchen. So that's the three ingredient one. What's the other one that mm-hmm. you would say in, in, in ingredients? Uh, so after the three ingredients, now comes to marinate, right? So you're adding salt, black pepper, egg, oyster sauce, light soy sauce, some sugar, you know, sesame oil, a little bit of chicken powder, but it's optional. If you do not like it, it's okay. Just marinate real quick into this pasty texture, and then uh, you wrap it inside, you know, egg roll wrapper. Okay. Yeah, deep fry and done. What do you like to dip your egg roll in? What's what's the appropriate dipping sauce? Here's the thing. <laughs> you like it. It doesn't come with a dipping sauce ah. in China. No. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, cookingwithshanshan.com. She will make your cooking, uh, what you're cooking in your kitchen, much, much better. Good morning to Dr. Ed Ackerley. How are you doing, buddy? Good morning, Chris. Thanks for having us this morning. We've got a big day going on tomorrow. Yeah, it's the <laughs> kickoff of the 80th, 80th anniversary of Rito Racetrack. It's a pretty historic day, and we're pretty excited. Uh, we got... We expect about, oh, maybe 7,000 people is what my guess is going to be. So we I bet. Pretty big day. Introduce these two okay. young people. Well, Michael is, is going to be one of the on-air people. They're both from the racetrack industry program, one graduate, one uh, almost graduate. Yep. And uh, they're, they're two of our about, we have about, uh, what, 34 <laughs> Uh, students that will be interacting over the course of the next couple of weeks. Uh, yeah, we have a wide variety of students anywhere from um, our uh, honor handicappers will be students, our vet assistants will be students. Uh, I have our chart callers, which is the past performances for those who don't know, they're students. Um, we actually have a student that will be announcing some of the races. Yeah, and students working the cameras. The wide, wide variety of students working in different positions, and that's one thing I really love about Rito. And Michael here is one of our handicappers and, and yeah. on-air, on-air personalities. So, <laughs> so Mike, you're from you're from su- Southern Connecticut. So I'm from I'm maybe about twenty minutes south of Hartford. Okay. Um, I've gone. I've been to what, Saratoga. What's the name of your town? Does it end with the word borough? No. Oh, okay. No. <laughs> I'm from Southington. No. Southington. Um, okay. But I've been to New York. I've been to New York City. God knows how many times I've been to Saratoga. God knows how many times I've worked for a few trainers up at Saratoga for the past. Hold on, I got a four or five years. I think I just got to make sure. How long have you been in college? Uh, <laughs> I, I did start. A, I started a year beforehand. Oh, okay. So he's got, you know, it worked out for Tommy Boy in the end too. So don't worry about it. <laughs> but um, I I got the opportunity to start taking the the paddock job. Okay. Opportunity just take just give out my picks, and it was really nothing different because back home in Connecticut, the neighborhood would ask me who I liked for the Triple Crown races. Um, now, was there OTBs in Connecticut? Yeah, um, if I'm not mistaken, in one of my classes, we were taught that the OTB that OTBs became a thing because they started in Connecticut. How about you, young lady Haley? How did you get How did you get the bite? So I got bit by a horse Michael already mentioned, but in a different race. So Zenyatta, <laughs> when she won the it's she amazing won the how both of you were touched by this horse. Yeah. <laughs> she won the 2009 Breeders' Cup Classic when Zenyatta won this award in horse racing called the Vox Populi Award, which is given out by the Secretariat Foundation to a horse that they feel has 
um, kind of emphasize the sport has kind of a feel-good story. So anyone who wants to look up this award, look up the horse Cody's Wish. It's he a is great a story. perfect definition of why the Vox Populi Award exists. Yeah. Tell me more about Cody's Wish. You got me excited. Michael, will you tell the story <laughs> of Cody? So the story of Cody's Wish starts when Cody, when the horse was um, six months old, right? Mm -hmm. So it starts when the horse was six months old, and a young boy, I can't remember what Cody Dorman. Yeah, Cody Dorman, but I can't remember what condition he has. But it's some sort. Of, it's some sort of condition. Um, yeah. While Haley looks it up, once she finds it, she'll be. She'll just say it. But the young boy is essentially. He's essentially bound to a chair. Okay. He can't go. He can't do anything. Uh, he can't really do anything by himself. Let me rephrase that. But. They go. He has a he has a make a wish event, and he lives in Kentucky. And he thinks, and he asks, "Why don't we go to a farm?" And he goes to a farm. He goes to Godolphin. Godolphin bred Cody's wish, and he was a six month old yearling. He was a little unruly, you know, typical typical baby horse. Not exactly wants to get now along the kids with people. named Cody. Yes, and the horse is named Cody. No. The horse was named after the okay. boy. The horse All right, was named I, wasn't, after I just the wasn't boy. sure. This, okay, I just want to make sure this wasn't a coincidental no. thing of the universe. But the best part, but the story gets really interesting when Cody first meets the horse because the horse just puts his head in Cody Dorman's lap, and that's not something that I mean for most horse people, that's not something that a lot of us know to happen on a regular occurrence. All right, so uh, Haley just had so the the boy was born with a rare genetic disorder called. Wolf Hirschhorn syndrome when uh, unable to walk or communicate without utilizing a tablet. Yes, yes, yes. That's the right Thank word. You. I knew it started with, I knew it was wolf and something, but I couldn't remember. Okay. So anyways, Cody's Wish runs three times after he's been named and after this magical moment where they meet, he's been named, he runs three times, he doesn't win. And the next start, Bill Mott, who trains the horse, entered him at Churchill Downs and Cody and somehow Cody Dorman caught wind that the horse was going to run at Churchill. So if I'm not mistaken, he practically begged his parents to go to Churchill to see the horse run. The horse won. And that was a cool story in itself. But well, you forgot the part where they said <laughs> they brought before the horse runs and Cody was at the barn to go see the horse. They said Cody's wish saw Cody and was practically dragging his groom over to this boy to say hello. He remembered wow. him from yeah. their first encounter. And then flash forward to August of this year, Cody's wish comes into the um, the Forgo or was it the Vanderbilt? One of them. You, he, no, it was the Forgo because it was on Travers Day. Cody's wish comes into the Forgo um, with a light resume, not impressive. You've been to Belmont, so he, I think he might have had a listed stakes to his name by this point, okay. but nothing world beater. He's going up against Jackie's Warrior, who at the time was... Basically the best sprinter in the world. Um, I'm not sure if he was still undefeated in the season. He might have been, but I'm not sure. He okay. was, I remember that. But then, as they, as, they, as they get to the far turn, Jackie's Warrior comes up empty, Cody's Wish blows by the last eighth and wins. And Cody Dorman watched the race, and it... There's NBC has a great piece on it on their YouTube on YouTube right okay. before the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile. It's a great story, um, and then we're gonna flash forward again. So now we're at Breeders' Cup Day. Cody's wish is going into the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile, which is an extra eighth of a mile further than the Forgo, seven eighths to a mile. Horses can do that, but I mean, sure, it's kind of a it's kind the of the distance is in the name. He was running a mile. Yeah, <laughs> the distance is in the name of the race. It's the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile. Um, now, Cody's wish up to that point, you didn't really know what you were going to get with him. He could show up. Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile. Go. All right. All right so we're <laughs> back to the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile. Uh, right before the race, NBC airs the whole story of what I'm telling you right now. It's on their YouTube. It's honestly, it's, it would do a lot better than what I'm explaining right now. But we get to the race. 
I think he ran. I think at post time, Cody's wish was five to one. Because Cyberknife was heavy favorite. Cyberknife, the Cox horse, the Brad Cox horse, was favored. Um, he had come off. I think he had come off a win. He came off a second in the Travers, but he had won the Haskell beforehand. So everybody had thought he's cutting back. A mile's probably going to be his best distance. It, he's he's the horse to beat in the race. Well, and anyone who knows horse racing, the connection specifically said we're in the dirt mile to avoid flight line in the yeah. classic. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, and Cody's Wish was the type of horse. I had discussed this with a good friend of mine who worked at the track, Eric DeCoster. Him and I ping pong horses back and forth every now and again. And I had talked to him about it briefly, and I had said, you know, the like if there was a Breeders' Cup 7 eighths race, Cody's Wish would shoe into that race perfectly. Because I, I was just I I horses, in them. horses have their groove thing right there's oh, exactly. that distance right like, so this was asking a little a little more out of this horse if I'm not wrong it was his first time going two turns and I I don't think it was his first time going a mile but I think it was his first time going two turns which is different I mean I can't really explain that because I don't really know how to but because a mile is a at Santa Anita is a different than a mile at Belmont Park because Santa Anita is a one mile oval well Belmont Park is a mile and a half oval so sure. one mile is only one turn at Belmont where it's two turns at Santa Anita or Keeneland in this case yeah Belmont's but massive we get to the race um, he was a closer he didn't really he wouldn't do his best running until the quarter pole so they so they break and you know he's trailing he might he's in the last third of the field the majority of the way half mile to go he starts to pick off horses one by one um then we get to the quarter pole he's pulled even with cyberknife and they have this great this great stretch duel the whole way um it was a real head bob coming down to the wire and at the wire cody's wish gets his nose down to win and the best part about that is the little boy got his picture made with cody in the breeders cup winner's circle and it was all Tears were flowing because the horse won because that little boy was there. That's I love amazing. the call because when Cody's wish crosses the wire, the announcer says, the wish has come true. Yep. This one's for you, Cody. Yeah. It's it, like, so get me please all emotional, go watch Stop it. race. It's amazing. <laughs> <Stop> it. <laughs> and, and the best part is the horse is still in training, but I think Hollywood's going to pick up on I mean, it how soon. you not do this Someone one? please <laughs> make a movie out of this. It's perfect. It, 